how to ask hard questions without hard feelings. Now, who couldn't use some of that? She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. We've all sat in interminable meetings. Actually, that was part of my job description at one point. Seriously, <laughs> it really had listed on there. Must be able to sit through interminable meetings. Didn't say anything about contributing to the meetings. That's a whole nother story. But anyhow, you sit there, you listen to someone, they drone on and on about something. And while you're trying to keep your composure and smile, that little voice inside you is saying, what? Are they kidding? That's wrong. That's incomplete. That doesn't take X, Y, Z into account. Or how about this? But you stuff that little voice because you're afraid you're going to blurt out something you're going to later regret, that your words could, I don't know trigger an explosive response or even retaliation. And while you're having this little conversation with yourself, suddenly you look around the table and heads are starting to nod up and down in agreement. And you're like, hmm, maybe I missed something. Now you're second guessing yourself. Do you or don't you? But that little voice inside you is now punching you in the stomach. Could that be the start of an ulcer? I don't know. It's stressful. It's a dilemma. When you care deeply about your job, your company, your business, it's easy to find yourself in this type of a stressful position. And it's exactly because you care that it's vitally important to be able to ask the right question in the right way at the right time. How do you walk that fine line? That's why I'm so glad to help us with that is my guest today, who actually wrote a book about that subject called The Art of Constructive Challenge. She's Tracy Houston, boardroom consultant executive coach, and president of Board Resource Services, LLC. Tracy takes her boardroom background along with her shrewd insights into the politics of leadership. She's not naive about that. And she also recognizes the competitive pressures of today's global marketplace. And she wraps it up in a can-do, roll-up-your-shirt-sleeve style. That's just such a powerful blend And it makes her uniquely qualified to simplify complex details and help C-suite leaders create paradigm shifts, to think differently about their business and create more alignment between their long-term strategies and what it takes to get there. Basically, she helps them get out of their own way, but tactfully, of course, of course. The Art of Constructive Challenge is one of six eBooks Tracy has written in her Board Guru series. She's been quoted in the media, and her articles have been featured in the Denver Business Journal, Financial Executives International Magazine, Computer Weekly, and she's even got an online column. She's featured in Colorado Biz Magazine and Women on Business. She's also appeared on numerous programs, including television show Colorado State of Mind. Now, while her writing and consulting focuses primarily on the high-stakes decisions and dynamics of the boardroom and C-suite, where big egos are often packed in tighter than in a can of sardines. Her strategies and tips 
can help any business team at any level of the organization. That's what I love about this. And her tips and strategies can help you be more effective and engage in more informed decision-making. They're transferable. That's why it's such a privilege to have Tracy here with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential, Tracy. Thank you, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here. This is a really exciting topic, and I am just so curious. What were you observing that inspired you to write The Art of Constructive Challenge? Well, first off, let me say the premise of the book from my perspective is that it's much harder to ask. And in problem that I saw, especially in the boardroom, but even as you raise in the ranks in an organization, information and getting that information is important. And it is vital, certainly at the board level, is extremely important. So that problem and the observations that I had from my own experience sitting on boards and then consulting to boards, I began to formulate some observations and some content and thus wrote the book. Very good. You certainly identified a need. It seems like such an essential leadership skill that's valuable at all levels. What exactly is constructive challenge in your view? Well, think inquiry versus inquisition. And then pause again and ask yourself, are you trying to be influential or are you trying to be right? So constructive challenge, first of all, really needs an environment that encourages risk-taking and honest feedback. If you don't have that and if you don't have the executive presence to such a way that you don't conduct an inquisition, then I think reading the book will help not only uh, identify gaps, but show you a roadmap to improvement. So if I understand you correctly, you need to have that atmosphere or a culture of trust in order for it to work. Absolutely. That's fundamental. It does not mean that at times it's still going to be uncom questions, but in order to facilitate the processing of information, especially at the board level, uh, you have to have that framework. And if you don't have it, uh, you can work behind the scenes to get that accomplished. If you do have it, before you speak on a certain topic, you need to do some homework. So on that is ask yourself if you are speaking from an emotionally loaded position. So in other words, create self-awareness and put into check any, any outbursts that you might have or any words that might be inflammatory. Uh, if you need to, you can also write a script out. The other question you can ask yourself is, what is our mutual purpose? This will help you phrase your questions that puts them really on a positive note and will ease tension and really bring in activity uh, into the conversation. I like that idea of bringing in a different level of creativity. That's really a wonderful way to look at the challenge and the situation. When somebody is actually in a meeting, they're in the moment, and 
the meaning is starting to go sideways. And I don't mean in terms of time not being used effectively or people droning on, but the substance of the content that is being discussed, where they may have a very strong disagreement, but decisions are being made. When somebody is in the moment like that and they are trying to respond to a situation that is happening in real time and that they don't have time to be doing their homework ahead of time, how do should they respond in that type of circumstance? Well, I have a whole chart of those different circumstances in the book, so let me just speak to a couple of those. So let's say momentum is growing in a direction that's not addressing an issue or a concern. You need to use some type of verbiage that says, in a way, you're looking for some explanation. So you can say, can you explain how this direction will address our concerns about, and then put X, Y, and Z. Another scenario is, Maybe a solid position has been taken and you're not quite sure. So you can ask, is there anything I can say that would encourage you to continue the debate around, and then again, A, B, and C. Uh, Another situation you might come across is one where a decision has been made in haste because really some strong views have been expressed. We oftentimes see this. Uh, You can say something like, you could be right. I need to understand more. So I need to ask you about A, B, and C. And those three scenarios, I think there's a number of them, but those three scenarios should give an example to you about how, as you're alluding to, Hannah, the momentum of dialogue can progress. And sometimes a person is not prepared But if you can ask at that point in time in such a way without putting people on a defensive, so basically you're asking for more information and at the same time you're acknowledging what's being said. That's helpful. It's also a way to delay the conversation or the final decision while still keeping the other parties engaged. Right. And I think the other area that a person can really drill down and develop some expertise in critical thinking because if you really are going to put your, you know, stake in the ground and and disagree and have a full-fledged debate, and certainly boards do this, C-suite people do this, if you can bring to the table some skills from critical thinking. So in other words, do your research, step back and formulate either from facts, from other scenarios that are similar but some way bring to the table an organized, purposeful thought. But understand critical thinking is more inward. It's an inward skill, and that's done outside of the meeting where what we're talking about, constructive challenges outward, and uh, it's done in that moment of communication with others. And I think that's what some people are so afraid of, that that moment that they may say something that's misconstrued, misinterpreted, especially if people have been working together for a period of time, they have certain preconceived notions about, oh yeah, they always are the ones that say X, Y, Z. They're going to put cold water on it. That's just the way 
marketing is, or that's just the way legal is, or that's just the way PR folks are. And so what are some suggestions for being able to counter that? Oh, that's an excellent question, because I think walking that fine line of executive presence and really being able to size up your reputation is extremely important. Sometimes we're seen as too aggressive or not assertive. Other times we're seen as too opinionated or unable to command the room or maybe too blunt or too nice. Uh, So there's this definitely this tightrope. And then when you're on that and you have to speak truth to power, particularly stepping back and looking about the three-legged stool on executive presence really is how you act, so your gravitas, how you speak, so your communication, and then how you look, so your appearance. And if you are in the midst of a situation that has that kind of diminishing effect on you, you need to get some help, uh, particularly maybe in a mentor, and create that kind of communication and safe place so that someone who understands your context can help you present yourself within that challenge. That's interesting. That also adds another dimension to it. You talked about the three-legged stool, how someone acts, speaks, and looks. But there's also, I would think, another component to that about somebody else's sense of security and self-esteem. If somebody feels threatened by another person at the table, it's going to be very hard for them to be open-minded about anything that person has to say. So then in that space, if you're seeing that happen, doing some either relationship building or some, uh, we all have our biases. So one has to really become aware of what bias might might be happening in, in this person and or group of people. And you need to be able to address that and take time to address that through relationship building. And there's been quite a bit of study, particularly recently, on biases and how to approach them. The neuroscience group of people are looking at this. And what they're finding is that we will most probably always have our biases, but through processes, we can create a way to have not only increased awareness around our biases, but work at a more effective level. So I think, again, if you are faced with that, it is pertinent for you to understand the latest research, go to the NeuroLeadership website, watch some of their webinars, and really arm yourself because you, you're going to have that in different uh, scenarios throughout, well, I'd say many, if not most of us have that throughout our careers, and you also then want to view that kind of content to help you become more influential. That's interesting, because really what you've been describing here, a series of different processes, it's almost like another facet to the diamond in order to make what you have to contribute more brilliant, if you will, in terms of being able to control the process so as not to create unintended consequences and really be able to move the conversation and the analysis forward in whatever team environment you are so that the proper information is brought forth on the table and everybody can look at it. Totally. It's a matter of command in whatever 
room you're in and looking at it from a number of different frameworks, whether it be executive presence or understanding bias that we all have and how to work with that and staying on top on the, you know, the cutting edge of how we can in our performance improve or help and or help others improve. Well, this sounds like such an important and obvious thing that business leaders need to be doing. Why don't more of them do it? I think that that really goes back to why I, the premise of why I wrote the book. It's much harder to ask an intelligent question than to provide guidance. And if you look at the headlines, you see a number of boards over even the last few years who have not addressed the difficult issues. And this environment isn't changing, this new normal and the level of unprecedented change that we're living combined with interdependency across many industries just makes the margin for error greater and certainly increases uncertainty. So we need to develop some will, quote unquote, for this. And some people have wrote about, you know, the courage that this takes. At some point in time, I think we all find ourselves in a place where we know we've got to bring more to the table and we can't go in unprepared. And looking at what we've talked about, these tight ropes, uh, looking at the different skill bases that can help, it will help you move forward. Very good. If you're just joining us now, my guest is Tracy Houston, author of the book, The Art of Constructive Challenge. And by the way, Tracy, if someone is interested in getting the information in there where you talk about like the different scenarios and and different ways to phrase a question, sort of a little cheat sheet that helps us in this capacity, where would they go to get that? An ebook only is sold at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Apple's iBookstore. So online, just one click away. Perfect. Get it for you and everyone on your team that you want to be able to have these conversations with. <laughs> sounds like the great thing to do. Uh, what's some of the common mistakes that people make in trying to have a constructive challenge that backfires on them? Well, first of all, they don't know their own personal style of inquiry. So first and foremost, they haven't identified that. And generally speaking, there's that 10 or 12 different styles. And you need to really understand what your own personal style is and then look at the context of the situation that you're in and hone a few skills on other styles so that you have a better fit. I think, to me, that's one of the first things. We have, uh, we're a highly educated uh, people, but this, this is, something that's not seen often in academic learning. And so it's very skill-specific. And most of us, if we were even asked today what's our personal style of inquiry, we wouldn't know. So that's the first place to start and then be able to analyze the context that you go into and choose something that's a better fit for effectiveness and to move the conversation forward. I think the other thing I would comment on that, Hannah, is when you're not asking a question, particularly in the boardroom, when directors are not asking questions, this is a red flag, and you you know it within you that you need to ask something, situation that's happening. 
But what we saw after the meltdown of 2008 was an extremely difficult situation for many businesses. And in the boardroom, the vetting of strategic assumptions, I, I saw more and more boards spending time doing this. And what I mean by that is on the agenda, which are often packed, there was time made, additional time committed to looking at creating what we call a rolling wisdom. And that is the assumptions behind our strategy. How is this business going to grow? What, what are the problems going to be? And having those refre refreshed so that those questions that directors may be hesitating to ask or not asking have a chance to be asked. And if that kind of environment is created, then this it's a seek out and discover environment that has a learning uh, aspect to it. There's a vitality behind that, all the rubber stamping or stayed kind of feelings around boardrooms. So very important. Um, this certainly translates to to other levels as well in the organization. You mentioned about the communication styles. Would you recommend that when board seats are filled, that they're filled with people that have the same type of communications in order to make it easier to have conversations? Or does that make it easier to have conversations? Well, we're looking at additional assessments of candidates. Again, since the meltdown of 08, there's increased scrutiny on who sits on the board and why. And that's kind of ushered in additional assessments. And some of them do look at the fit, quote unquote, but they're not looking to just duplicate. It's the diversity of thought. And then, of course, there's many different kinds of diversity that comes under that. So I think it it's something that a candidate, again, goes back to their executive presence, and it'll come out in the interview process what that kind of communication style is. And I think a person should be authentic and not try to brag and certainly don't understate either. Just be who you are. Interesting. Well, what about this scenario? You're in a meeting. You have the best of intentions to have a constructive challenge, but somewhere in the process, it backfires just a little. How would you recommend someone get the conversation back on track? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great question. Many, if not most of us, have at times maybe come to the table with something that is emotionally loaded. And I think the first thing you need to do is circle back. If you can't pull yourself back right then, you need to, you need to go later and address it and be, be transparent and say, I did not handle that situation the way that I would have liked, and I'd like to circle back and either set a time to do that, or if that immediate sense works, then just say, immediately, say, I feel like I'm speaking from a place that's more emotional than I'd like to, and let's just step back and pause a minute and either restart. So either way, I would address it head on. Hit that reset button, right? Exactly. And I think Very most good. people are, they understand most of us have been there. <laughs> I think we've all been there, some more than others, Absolutely. but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I once had a, an 
executive VP of HR tell me there are so many bad managers. What I wanted to do is reach across the desk and say, so do something about it. (laughs) And uh, if you were advising that, for example, that EVP in this particular area of constructive challenge for people that are being groomed for higher leadership positions so that they can get the most out of their team in terms of critical thinking in terms of being able to smoke out issues while they're small and manageable to have the best creativity and move the business forward. What type of training or recommendations would you have for that EVP? Well, certainly within this umbrella, I would really take serious time and do a deep dive in areas that stifle and particularly stifle creativity. So anytime you see contracting mentality or what I call unanimous illusion or a biased kind of conversation. Those, a person, I think, who's looking to advance in an organization and certainly create more executive presence, you really need to be aware of those. But also um, cultivate what I call reflective intelligence. In today's world, we're so fast-paced and yet we're making major decisions in a more complex environment. You need to create not only a habit, but a safe place for your people that work under you to provide time just to reflect and have conversations from that point. In other words, that it creates an environment where we're co-creating and the reflective intelligence that comes from that And again, back to the neuroscience, they're finding that our brains are built so that when there's a pause, we automatically search for an answer. And many people get their aha moments, quote unquote, in the shower or driving, and that's what's happening. We're on automatic doing chores or daily routines or commutes that are automatic, and it gives our brain a pause. And it's fascinating to realize that we are built in such a way that our creation inside ourselves will try to solve problems automatically. And that's where those aha moments come from. So I think this idea of reflective intelligence and wisdom, very important. Interesting. I also like your concept of having a safe place for your employees, not just in terms of physical but in terms of being able to to share information and to share their their concerns, even if it may not be part of the popular point of view. You know, I saw a really cute Dilbert cartoon that just captures what happens all too often in too many offices, which is probably why it's such a popular cartoon. In the uh, first sequence, the woman engineer is talking to the pointy-haired boss, and she says, is there any way to disagree with your new strategy without making you angry? In the next cell, he says, blah, blah, I value all opinions, blah, blah, open-door policy, blah, blah, dissenting opinions are good. She says, none of that sounded sincere. And his little thought bubble says, I nailed it. <laughs> all too often, people go through the motions. They say the right things. Oh, we have an open-door policy. But when somebody walks through, they get shot. That word spreads very quickly. People learn, oh, yeah, well, they say that, but they don't mean that. So it would appear that there's lots of room for the suggestions that you have, certainly in your book about the art of constructive challenge. 
that people can find on Amazon. We're, we're coming to a close here. I was just wondering if you had any parting thoughts or advice for our listeners. I just want to reemphasize the difference between inquiry and inquisition. Taking time to reflect on your ability in this arena and then your ability to find the skills and the tools to just take it to the next one or two steps of increased effectiveness and invest in yourself, invest in your executive presence. We are facing unprecedented challenges in the 21st century. And so there's really no one size fits all for leadership, but for sure, we need people to come to the table prepared. And that's why for me, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to help bring some of that to the table. So I I appreciate so much your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. This is really valuable. And you nailed it when you said the difference between inquiry and inquisition. Inquiry sounds like we're in this together. Let's jointly problem solve. Inquisition is I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm here to prove that. (laughs) So I think that's a great way to frame and reframe the way we couch our questions. So thank you so much. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you, too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.